This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Ben Leibovich and Sam Grooms. Thanks for being on the show, guys. Thanks for having us, Whitney. Thanks for having us. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited to have you all. And I know you all are the guys making it happen. Isn't that right, Ben? <laughs> we do a few things here and there. We're yeah. quite bashful, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think bashful is a way to describe Ben. <laughs> So these guys have been investing in multifamily for a long time. They're great syndicators. They're making it happen. I'm looking forward to getting into this conversation. But Ben and Sam, give us a little update on what you're working on right now and maybe briefly tell us you know, what you've done up to this point in the syndication business, and then let's dive right in. The last podcast Sam and I recorded, I was playing back the podcast with my wife. I happened to be in the car. She just looked at me and said, you sound like such an ass. <laughs> so today... Because this is a family show and because you got a reputation to protect, I'm just going to behave myself. And the first way in which I'm going to do that is I will allow Sam to go first. (laughs) Thank you, Ben. In the last six months, we bought 215 units split between two properties. What is it about? $11 million purchase price. We raised about $8 million for those two deals. Well, the purchase price is about $19, $20 million. Purchase price is twenty million. Nineteen. Eleven million. One. One of them was eleven million. So yeah. So we raised what? Four and a half for one. Three and a half for the other one. Good deals. Nice. So tell us, what is your model right now? Your, your structure of your partnership between you know Ben and Sam. What are your roles? You know, I'm the good. We both underwrite. We get a deal from brokers. We both handle most of the underwriting. We sit down, go visit the property together. And then at that point is where we kind of diverge in our roles. And it's kind of happened gradually between the first and the second deal that we just mentioned. I'll handle the mostly the debt and Ben will handle the equity. And then we both manage the property pretty equally, meet for with other contractor appointments and dealing with the renovation. Reporting and things like that. And I've been buying multifamily since 2006. It's just, you know, this partnership is fairly new, about a year old. I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. So how did the partnership change from when you first started to now? I don't think it has. We like each other. We trust each other. And our areas of expertise are very complementary in the way we look at things and we like with the way we process things is very complementary. So it's just fell in really, really good. And there hasn't been a need to change. What has changed is at the beginning, we were both trying to do everything. And like I just mentioned, we kind of naturally took on the areas we were strongest at and kind of did our own segregation of duties just organically over the last six months. So now you're just doing everything, Sam? Pretty much. That's a nice way of saying I do everything. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, somebody needs to look pretty while he does all of that stuff, okay? So again, I do everything. (laughs) So how did you all determine like who would be paid what in the beginning of your partnership? I've heard people ask that. Well, we're looking at partnering, you know, and how do we structure that? And what should that look like? And how do we do that? Or what's worked for you all? I'll give you a very simple answer. If people are concerned out of the gate about who's going to get paid for what, they're not looking at the right thing. 
what they should be doing, figuring out how to underwrite deals, how to get uh, taken seriously by brokers, how to get some deal flow, how to raise some money. Like Sam and I never even had a conversation about who gets paid for what and why. It just makes sense. Like once things make sense, they make sense. They don't require a conversation. So like, I don't know, Sam, if you disagree with me or what, but we just never, ever talk. Look, I want a great deal. He wants a great deal. That's where our focus is, is to find a great deal. Everything else is going to fall in place if we have a great deal. All of this other nonsense is just nonsense. It's just like, you know, you're going to focus on how much you get paid. How does that help you get a deal? To be more specific, we split everything 50-50, but... But yeah, like, like Ben said, there wasn't really much discussion early on how we were going to structure it. It was just, we just started looking for the deal before we worried about anything else. Because if you don't have a deal, what does it matter? There was a discussion about, do I even want to go there? <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And I appreciate both answers, but I just get that question often. I've heard it myself. and That's a silly question. Listen, the reason most people don't make the money we make and don't buy the apartments we buy is because that's the kind of thing they focus on that's exactly the wrong thing to be focused on if you really want to be a player this is what we're trying to tell you is like you know yes you're hearing this question a lot and guess what only a few of the people you talk to are actually doing deals you know how do those two things line up right you know the people doing deals aren't worried about stuff like that And I agree. And if you both have that relationship that you're going to partner, then it's not a big concern anyway. You know, it's going to work out. You can focus more on the finding the deal and the underwriting like you're talking about. So, Leo, tell us about a little bit about a recent deal that you all have closed on. Maybe the most recent one. Tell us, you know, why you bought the property, what looked good about it, and maybe your your buying criteria. Did it meet your criteria or or not? Ben, should we actually talk about Silvertree so we can talk about some results as well? Sure. So, Silvertree, we bought about six months ago. It was... Is it 98 units? We purchased it for 8.2 million, raised about 3.6 of equity. The rents, I think, were was 600 when we t- took over Ben on blended. Not, not quite. Yeah, a little under 600. We're spending about 12,000 per unit to fix up the property. 7,300 of that is on interiors, but that's giving us a $340 rent bump per unit. So we're getting rents up to over 900. And that's kind of what you have to see in the Phoenix areas about a $300 increase. So mathematically, let's back it up and explain to folks why you have to see what you have to see. So Whitney, most of your value add is a function of filling up vacancy, right? In most municipalities, you go to Houston, you know, you go to Ohio, Columbus, Cincinnati, you know, you find the quote unquote mismanaged property, right? That's what we all want. We want that mismanaged property. Well, what does it mean mismanaged? Mismanaged means you've got some vacancy because the ownership doesn't want to deploy capital to bring units up to par, a lot, a lot, a lot. They're running at, you know, 78% occupancy, 73% occupancy, 84%, you know, whatever. And so when you take that over, majority of your value add is a function of going in, fixing what needs to be fixed and filling up the vacancy, you know, bringing it to 94%, 95%, whatever the market going physical vacancy is, right? That's the majority of your value add in most value add plays. And then you put some lipstick on the pig and raise the rents 50 bucks, 60 bucks, and you call it a day. Okay. The problem in Phoenix that grows 1.5% in one year 
is that there's such a population explosion here and such a lack of inventory in $800 to $1,200 apartments, there's no vacancy. Even the most horribly run property is generally speaking operating at market occupancy. So what does that mean? What does it mean to buy value add in a place like Phoenix that's extremely high growth market in a county that is the number one growth county in America? What does that really mean? What does it look like? Well, what it looks like is you have to actually do the value add. You have to actually create the additional revenue. There is no vacancy. When we took over Silver Tree, there were two vacant units out of 98. When we took over South Mountain, there was one vacant unit out of 117. There's no vacancies because there's just no vacancies because there's a lot of demand because of the population growth, right? But we can't underwrite no vacancy. And so but you can't I- underwrite no vacancy, right? So you need value add. I appreciate you putting that in there. You need value add just to get like the South Mountain that we just closed three weeks ago. I think the submarket is annualizing at like 2.6% vacancy. The entire submarket, okay? What do you do with that? You underwrite 5 or 6% vacancy because that's what is sustainable historically. But then you need value add to compensate for the difference between the 6% and the 2.4% in the marketplace right now, which is not sustainable, you have to assume. It's not sustainable, right? So you need value add just to compensate for that and break even. And then you need a bunch more value add in order to actually make returns. So what it looks like is $300 per door plus, and that's the only thing that works in Phoenix because there's no vacancy. I heard your reaction when I said 12000 per unit. Uh, so we're sending 7500 on the interior, and we're basically touching everything in the interior of the units. Completely new kitchen from cabinets, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, plumbing fixtures, lighting fixtures, new flooring paint, just basically touching the entire, as well as bathrooms. Hey guys, it's Whitney. I wanted to take some time to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com. They're a national private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities. They do this with private accredited investor funds. They have a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and control over $250 million in equity from their investors. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easier for you to start investing in real estate without all the hassles. They even have an average 62% repeat investor rate in each offering they put together. They even have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to fix and flippers locally and across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. To help you learn more, they have put together a free passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download the PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. That's awesome. You can get the $300 rent bump. Well, I guess give me your timeline on far as how many units is it and getting it all renovated. Let's talk about the uh, Canyon, Sam. Yeah. So what we do is on lease renewals, we are bumping rents significantly. So say $200, $250 rent bump, that naturally gives you people who are going to move out and not renew them. And so we did that just enough. We figured out what how much we would get so we can get five to six units available per month that won't renew. And then we go in and fix those up. And that really helped us in December and January, where I think we had, was it 39 lease renewals between those two months? 
So 39 out of 98 units in two months. So heavily weighted in those two months. We obviously couldn't renovate all of those units. So we went in and just increased rents, 250 bucks. And actually, a lot of people were willing to accept that. But we had five or six people said, we're not going to accept that. And that was perfect. We got our hands on those units. We were able to renovate. And then we still got a ton of lost lease that we captured on the classic renewals. Our guest is Jeff Greenberg. Thanks for being on the show, Jeff. Well, thank you, Whitney. I'm happy to be here. Can you speak to, like, you know, how important it is to build relationships when you're getting started? And let's talk about that a little bit and just how maybe how you did that and, you know, maybe how that's changed from how you were, you know, building relationships and nurturing the relationships from the beginning to the way you are now. It is extremely important to build up relationships, to find other people that you can help or they can help you or they know somebody that they can refer you to. The whole business of real estate is helping each other and being of some kind of service to each other. In the beginning, it was, it was difficult. As I said, I was, I was very quiet. I was a very introverted. And as I opened myself up more and more, you know, now I can go into these situations and talk to people and walk up to people and say, hey, what are you doing? You know, what kind of business are you in? Or if it's a real estate meetup, you know, what are you doing in real estate or what have you done? You never know who's going to be able to refer you to someone or something, or maybe they're going to invest with you, or maybe they know somebody that's selling a property that you may be interested in. It's a definitely a relationship business. My first two deals that I got were from some broker, that a broker that I had met through LoopNet of all places. And he happened to have been, he was born in California, but he was living in Texas and we got that relationships because we had the California connection. And every time I was in that part of Texas, I stayed with him and his family and we became friends and we still text back and forth some and communicate some, even though we don't have a property involved anymore, but it is the relationships. It's the relationships about getting the deals as well as the relationships with investors on the current deal that we just closed on, on part of the raise, it was part of the funds were raised by people that I had met in different situations and they were bringing in their network. So by me expanding to their network, I'm expanding my reach out. And that's extremely important when you're raising funds, when you're looking for deals, when you're you know formulating relationships. It's a team sport, isn't it? A team sport. It's definitely a team sport. I remember reading a blog or something on, on Bigger Pockets where where someone was talking about, well, I'm very introverted and I'm, you know, kind of afraid to talk to people and you know, and I kind of went into it. I said, get over it. <laughs> Do whatever you need to get past that. If you need to go to Toastmasters, if you need to push yourself in front of groups to talk to people, you know, take a speech class at a college where you're forced to give presentations in front of people, whatever it means, whatever it is, get past it because that's very difficult unless you just want to be an underwriter or something and you're just going to sit there and play with the spreadsheets and do some back office type of stuff. If you're going to be out there front-facing, running your business, you better be able to talk to people, talk to vendors, talk to property managers, property inspectors, whatever. You need to be able to do that without being in fear of 
of talking to people. What's been, I guess, the best place that you've, you know, found those key relationships that's helped, you know, move your business to the next level and, and people you can help as well? Well, a lot of it started out with the different meetups that I attend. The difficulty I found, I mean, in the beginning, it was great. I, I met a lot of people that were, you know, farther ahead than I was. And I still go to some different boot camps where I meet up with some people that are, you know, at my level or above my level. Probably the most influential one is a mastermind that we've been involved with. And there are some extremely impressive people in that mastermind that are totally open to talking to anybody at whatever level. And for the most part, they've been there, done that to ask them, say, hey, you know, what do you think of how I wrote my offering? You know, would you have changed anything? What about the structure of my deal? What do you think about that? Different things like that, that, you know, they could look things over and in a snap, give you a comment on on what their feelings are. But most of the time nowadays, it seems like on the local stuff, you know, I may be the most experienced person in the room. So I, again, need to go places where I'm out of my comfort zone, where I'm standing up in front of a people that are a lot more skilled than I have, done a lot more than I am. And in our group, we talk about, you know, what we can offer the group. And that was one of the more scary things to center. Wait a minute. How do I offer anything to this group? I mean, this is, you know, a phenomenal group of people. And so to try to come up with what I could offer them is probably one of the more difficult things is how I can help them in their business. You know, as you keep pushing yourself, you know, you, you keep finding things that, that will improve you. Yeah, and like you said, as you get out of your comfort zone, you, it causes you to grow, and then you start to grow in other areas that you didn't even know were there. So initially, maybe you were going to those local, you know, meetups, and that caused you to grow, and then all of a sudden you realize that, okay, i got to find some other meetups or other groups like that mastermind, and that's caused you to grow even that much more and, and pushed you to another level. Oh, absolutely, and you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Jeff, just a couple of questions before we have to go. We were talking about, you know, just how you got started and how other people can get started and just the importance of being driven, you know, being ready to, to just dig in and make it happen and then the importance of relationships. And what would be the thing now that you're really focused on? You know, you're building these relationships, you're keeping those relationships going, you're continuing to do that. Well, I guess I wanted to ask you, too, like, how do you manage to make time to continue nurturing all these important relationships? With a lot of the different stuff that I'm doing, I have other people. I have other people doing the things that don't need my attention. I have other people that are looking for the deals for the most part, are underwriting the deals. I have a team that we've been going out and doing due diligence with, or or that's something that we've actually been delegating out to property management companies where we've been contracting with them to do some of that. So that reduces the duties that I have. I have been working to get my team to do more of the fundraising because that seems to be the one that a lot of people are more resistant to, that they find more difficult and are more uncomfortable with. So... I try to offload as much as I can and, you know, teach the rest of the team to do it. I think it was Chris Clothier that I heard talk at Joe Fairless's conference two years ago. It wasn't, I think it was his first one. And one of the things that Chris said was the CEO's responsibility is to train his employees to replace him. 
And I thought, yeah, that's right. I want to train them so they can do the jobs that I don't need to do. And that means I could be doing other things to develop the company and to, you know, reach out farther. But it's training people, getting people that can replace the jobs that I'm doing. And so that's, you know, one of the, one of the things that I try to do now. And right now it's, it's mainly the fundraising aspect of it, but my team does most of the other stuff. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 